Hi ladies, you're listening to The Goodness Podcast. My name is Noor Tahini. I'm the co-founder of Goodness and I'll be your host today. Goodness was launched in 2018 as a platform dedicated to tackling topics surrounding women's health in a real and honest way. And we're continuing on that mission with the launch of this podcast series, which will feature real women and real stories from the Middle East. My guest on the podcast today is Helen Williams, a counselor, psychotherapist, and mindfulness teacher with decades of experience. Helen is joining me to talk about how to manage fear and anxiety through mindfulness amidst the current coronavirus pandemic. And side note, even when we're all stuck at home, we wanted to keep bringing you valuable content. So this episode of the podcast was recorded over Zoom from the floor of my bedroom. So I ask that you please bear with the sound quality. Thank you. Hi, Helen. How are you? Hello, Noor. Good morning. I'm well. You're well, good. I'm glad to hear that. How are you coping with the situation? Oh, it's interesting, isn't it? How much we are asking now, how are you? Are you well? Yes. (laughs) Well, I I have to say I'm enjoying the situation for myself right now. I love the extra quiet Mm -hmm. and the peacefulness of it. And the little bit of extra time I have nowadays, I'm enjoying that too. The thing that I'm liking the most is the fact that everything has slowed down. Yes. And it feels like for the first time, you're not running after anything. There's nothing to run after. You know, it's like the whole world has just stopped to take a breather. It's a lovely thought, isn't it? I I said that to a woman yesterday and she said, Helen, obviously you have no small children in your house. (laughs) That's so true. (laughs) That's so true. She said she's got more to look up to run after than ever before now. Um, what was she saying to me? Three and a half was one on the way, children under five. Wow. Inside, in an apartment. Wow, okay. I guess it's very fortunate to be able to feel, <laughs> to feel the way we do. I imagine it's very different uh, yeah. depending on each person's situation. That's what I'm discovering. Absolutely. Hmm. Absolutely. I'm, I'm stuck. I'm at home in Sharjah with three what are they, eight-week-old puppies? <laughs> so, oh, how lovely. I know. How lovely. Now, that will keep you present and in the moment, won't yeah, it? Yeah, it does, it does. So, Helen, no. before we start to talk about how mindfulness can be used to maybe, maybe ease this situation or how mindfulness can really come in handy in times like these, I was wondering if you could take us back to the base, sort of explain the basics of mindfulness to our audience who are maybe not familiar with it. I've done a one-month course with you, so I'm quite familiar with the concepts, but I was hoping you could explain it to our audience. Well, yes, I'd love to do that. Uh, well, so nowadays, everyone is experiencing mindfulness as it really is, the practice of learning to stay present to what's actually happening, using what's here in the moment to focus on and not being caught and lost in our thinking mind, moving away from the moment into the future, into the past. So mindfulness is commonly suggested as being a practice that you do in the moment on purpose, with intention, to stay present to what's actually happening without judging the situation. The practice of mindfulness is called the practice because it's a way of learning each day to be present to life as it unfolds in front of you, within you and all around you. Rather than living life out of our active thinking mind, projecting into the past or projecting into the future. Mm-hmm. So the most people, do you remember this part in the workshop, asking people how much of themselves was present to the moment 
and how much of us exists in our mind away from what's actually happening right now. The vast majority of people say that they spend their life ahead of themselves, wishing, wishing themselves forward and planning and taking care of their safety by working out scenarios that could possibly happen in the future that might make themselves feel as though they're in control. Do you remember that part? Yep, I do. <laughs> and also, <laughs> it's, it's so familiar when you talk about it. <laughs> well, I've been practicing mindfulness for many, many years now. And I often think, um, partly my age, so I turned 70 last year, And I remember thinking that mindfulness was actually the practice I was raised with in the country, in New Zealand, as a child, walking with my mum and my brother and sisters a lot, wandering around in quietness, um, in nature often, and addressing just simply what was happening now, and yet having some anticipation about joy that could arrive in the future. Mm. That sounds like an idyllic childhood, but that's actually how it really was. So I remember it. Mindfulness for me as a child was having my mum meet us at the bottom of the driveway when we got off the school bus at the end of the day and walking with us about a mile up the driveway, talking about what was actually present right now and reminding us, can you smell the honeysuckle as we walk past it? And can you smell what it is I've made you for your afternoon tea? So stay aware. And can you hear the sheep in that distant paddock? And can you hear your father? He's in the tractor today, plowing a field. He's quite a long way away. And if we were still, we could hear all of that. And I still remember my sister saying, oh, mum, gingerbread, I can smell gingerbread. Did your mum know what she was doing? At the time, was it intentional? I think that because we lived on a farm, uh, we very seldom saw other people, really. We just lived in the moments, working with the elements that we had. So hers was the care of a very large garden, a big orchard full of fruit, trees, and a mountainous vegetable garden, mm. and the small animals. Mm. So I think she was present to the season. That sounds heavenly. Mm. So you were talking about how, as humans, our, our, our mind is very often either projecting into the future or into the past. And perhaps you'll agree that in a situation like the one we're in now, it's very easy to worry or to let your thoughts take over or to let this kind of, this kind of thinking get the best of you. Would you agree with that? Well, yes, I, it's, my daytime has become listening to people. So as a business, Mindful Me listens to people during the day. Um, now we're doing it on the internet, of course, in the same way you and I are now, listening to how they are experiencing this current situation and how it impacts on them. For a vast majority of people have traveled forward into the future. The fear of what the changes might be, the timing and how might, long it might all take. And a lot of people have gone back into the past with what we had and the terrible fear of losing what we had. Hmm. So yes, backwards and forwards, and learning how to be present with how the situation is now will come. For some who have trained in it, it's a relief and a joy to sit into the space and time, as you suggested at the beginning. For others, and this is often not realized, the present can be a very frightening place. 
many people are very deeply unhappy in themselves or actually have used working or other people or other practices and habits mm -hmm. as a way of avoiding their own inner life, what actually goes on deep inside of us. So many people have spent their lives avoiding themselves. And nowadays, when you take away one of our biggest addictions, which is working, the ability to be busy going out constantly and have our lives so full, if you take all of that away, we're left, if we're alone with ourselves, or we're left in a house with a partner we may not be happy with, mm. or with children we may not actually spend very much time with. And for some people, it means here in Dubai, living in an extended family in just a small space and not being able to escape. So those people now caught up with, I can't flee the situation. And when I go forward in my mind, it makes me anxious. How long will I be stuck here? How long is it going to last? All these questions we have no answers to. Or I go back into what I had and what I've lost. I imagine that a vast amount of people here are at the beginning stages of grieving, whether they realize it or not. Grieving their past life or grieving the way things were? Well, grieving what they believe they've lost. Mm. And, and anticipatory grief, you know, grieving what they hoped they were going to have. Yeah. So the, the plans for the future. So for many, many people, if we're very practical about it, the fears will be hugely about finances. For some who, who may, in fact, have lost their jobs or lost their ability to continue to bring in money. Mm -hmm. And for some, that's a very practical supporting their family. And I've heard a lot of people very anxious about that. And for others, it's just simply the structure of their lives, the 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 realization that in Dubai we live in a fairly structured way, early to work in the mornings, gone maybe for long periods of time, and home to flop in front of Netflix for an hour or two mm. before we sleep. So for the people who no longer can do that, it may be a joy for some to have this great vast empty space. And it may in fact be the most enormous fear for others. Makes sense, doesn't it? It does. I mean, What you're saying is, is so true. The, the concerns and the fears are very valid because no one knows how we're going to come out of this from an economic and financial perspective. I think a lot of people are going to lose their jobs. A lot of people are going to struggle to get back on their feet. But that's the thing, right? No one knows. And it doesn't matter how many hours you spend looking at different scenarios. No one has any idea how long this is going to take. No government can tell you that. No doctors can actually tell you that. So it's sort of like your mind is just going to keep running in this hamster wheel. Yes, and you know what really fascinates me about that? In the practice of mindfulness is that I, I've understood and lived it over the years. The ability to stay present to what is actually here right now, to live the moments as they unfold and not rush ahead into the future, that practice of mindfulness brings the most enormous relief for many people. Mm. So the notion that... I only have to be present to what's actually happening. And the future as it unfolds will take care of itself if I'm present to it. So for many people now, the realization that in fact, that's actually all we've ever really had. We only ever have this moment to live in. But most of us live with some kind of a plan in mind that we believe keeps us safe. Hmm. 
that tomorrow we know what is going to happen, that tomorrow it's going to unfold like this. I know because I have a schedule and I know that this is how I've lived over several years and this is how it's going to be. But the reality is that's still only ever just a thought, you know, that life will unfold in the way that we've planned it. Because at any moment, we all of us actually know this, life can change in a flash. Mm -hmm. And we've experienced it now, haven't we? How quickly things have altered over just a couple of weeks. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Like I, I still can't wrap my, my mind around it. It feels like a weird dream that we're going to wake up from. Yeah. And yet in actual fact, for many people, this is what happens in their lives. You know, I've been a psychotherapist for most of my working life. So I've had the opportunity to listen to people when they're in their darkest moments. And I think that a dark moment for someone is driving a long sheet's aid to work and being caught in an accident. No one ever planned that, that they might lose their car or end up being terribly um, damaged and wounded and in hospital, for instance. We never planned for it. The morning that we left home, we planned that we were going to work and our life changed in a moment. And it may not have even been our doing. It may have been another driver that created that. Mm. So we never plan for it. And yet, in fact, that's precisely what can unfold. So in the same way, we, we can't plan our lives now. Uh, what's going to happen is always going to happen. But we keep ourselves safe by believing that we have control over all of the future as it's going to unfold, just by having a plan or a goal. <laughs> Do you not plan, Helen? <laughs> Well, I don't, you know, I've, I've, lived for a, I've lived for a long time with a structure because, of course, I, I, have, I have clients who I see at 75-minute intervals all day long. So I actually have a schedule. But that too changes because I may be expecting that you will come, Noor, um, in two hours' time and you could ring and say, look, I'm sorry, I'm caught up at work and I can't leave now. Mm. And so it changes. So I understand life is like that. But for many years, I've lived with this wonderful piece of Buddhist philosophy, actually, that instead of setting a goal, that we actually learn to live into each moment, practicing our highest best, and let go all attachment to any outcome. So if I practice being at my best as much as I possibly can be, and have no desired outcome, then what opens is this astonishing field of possibilities that actually exists far beyond my thinking mind, but is, is created as part of the greater good for all of us if mm. we could open into it. Mm. So I've long since learned that if I control my life out of my thoughts, it's very limiting. But if I allow myself to surrender into life, then what arrives for me? is a thousand times better than I could ever have planned. Hmm. How's that? That's how I like to live. That's nice. <laughs> but how, is it to, how hard is it to surrender to the present moment when you fear for your family's livelihood, like the situation a lot of people find themselves in right now? Well, I would either be surrendering into allowing what's happening, or I would be caught up in fear. Hmm. And being caught in fear is, is actually the piece that is the most ruinous of people's lives. So fear, fear and anxiety shows me that I'm not in the present moment. So if I experience fear, it's because my thinking has taken me into the future, into the past. For me to try and stay just with what's here right now, then I have to recognize 
I have no control over what happens, but I can be present to it. And in surrendering to it, I'm then able to bring whatever's needed to the moment as it happens. And often whatever's needed is just to be present and listen, to hear someone or provide the thing that they need in that moment that I can give them. If I stay caught up in trying to plan for them or trying to soothe their feelings, it does nothing for them. And it only creates huge anxiety in me. Mm. So it's called mindfulness practice because we practice by learning, staying present, by learning to listen to our bodies and use our breath to keep us centered in the moment. So I'm, I'm breathing regularly and energetically aware of loving all the people I love and knowing that each of them will do the best that they can in their present moment. And that's all I really can do. So for people who, you mentioned breathing now, for, for people who've never perhaps practiced mindfulness in the past or who aren't familiar with a lot of the different practices, what could you recommend as a starting point? I know there's so many, diff- there's like countless breathing exercises and there's countless meditations and we went through a number of them during our one month course. What, do you, what, what would you recommend as a sort of beginner level? Well, there's hundreds and thousands of practices that I I really like the practice that we use in week one of our mindfulness workshops, which is the simple practice of taking a moment to sit, noticing that you're breathing. And I suggest that people close their eyes because that just shuts out that sense and makes you present. And then whilst you're noticing that you're breathing steadily in and out of your nose, focus with every ounce of your concentration on listening to the sounds that you can hear around you. And as you begin to hear them, sounds within sounds and beneath sounds, even in silence, there's a lot of sound. Start to count the sounds as they arrive, each individual one. You might say, hmm, clock ticking car passing, oh, bird chirping, oh, fridge just turned on, Hmm, hum of computer, oh, noticing a sound in my own ears humming right now, oh, heard my own breath. Do you understand what I'm doing? Mm -hmm. What I'm focusing on is what's actually happening right now. And if you did that for one or two minutes, continuing to notice each sound as it arrives, to search for it, to hear the depth of silence under the silence, and to then begin to focus on every tiny little creak in your building, for instance, or any noise you can hear from outside. What you begin to notice is that you're searching for sound and you're not tuned into your thinking mind. And after about a minute of that, if you were to just come back to concentrating on your breathing, you would notice that your body has settled and feels still. And the word that people often use when they describe their experience is, I feel calm now. I feel calm. The calmness comes from not being engaged in your racing thinking. So the practice of mindfulness is to teach you to come apart from your racing thoughts for a moment and just settle into the steadiness of the rhythm of your breath in your own body. I love that practice. And I do that quite a lot myself. So you just described 
like a, I don't know if you would agree if I called it an exercise or a, mm-hmm. a small practice that would take up a mm-hmm. few minutes of someone's day. But mm-hmm. how do you then translate whatever you felt and whatever you did in that moment to an approach to life? Because you can ha- you can have that practice and then you turn on the news and then all of a sudden you're projected back into the future of economic collapse, uh, deaths, etc. And you're pulled out of that calm. How do you extend it to 24 hours a day? Well, you know, my simple response to that, Noah, is don't turn on the news. <laughs> do you watch the news, Helen? No, I don't. Actually. I, I didn't think you would. No, I don't have television and I haven't watched it in many, many, many years. I just don't at all. But what's interesting about translating that is the practice of mindfulness helps us to understand that our tension placed on our breath and on our body in the moment just takes us from our thinking mind into a place of steadiness. So I notice that probably about every three minutes or so all day, I bring my attention to one deep breath. Uh, Just breathe in. And as I breathe out, I allow any tension in my physical body to settle. So I might notice that I've pulled my shoulders up or I've tightened my belly muscles. So I just settle. I sometimes look at my hands and think, are they clenched at all? Are they just soft and open? And I sometimes say to myself as I breathe out the word soft, just be soft, Helen. And then I bring my attention to exactly what's happening now. So I think it's easy for me because I spend, I live alone and I spend my days alone when I'm actually talking with people face to face, being present to the situation. So I've long since trained myself to be in the present. As you translate that into your day, it's learning to pay attention on a regular basis to one deep breath that soothes you. One nice, long, deep breath. As you breathe it in, you can feel the power of it coming into your body. And as you breathe it out, you can use it to relax and notice your posture, notice where you're holding tension. And when you get into the practice of doing that on a regular basis, it's like saying I have a little mechanism which I self-soothe and bring myself back to the attention of the moment. That's nice. I did the deep breath while you were talking. (laughs) Yeah, you can feel the presence of it, can't you? Yeah. One deep breath is like saying, oh, here I am. And I often actually just touch my heart center while I'm doing that. I think, yes, here I am. Here I am. I'm feeling alarmed right now. The news was frightening right now. I can feel my heart is racing and I've clenched my palms. I can feel my amygdala setting up in fight and flight response. And what I want to do is just come back to being calm. So another nice big deep breath. Back to what's actually happening right now in the moment. That's... That's the daily practice. Right, because I remember what what we spoke about during the workshop as well. When you're stressed, when you're afraid, that has a, it's not just in your mind, it has a physical manifestation also. Mm. And It certainly does. Yeah, so your heart races, like you were saying, your body clenches up. Mm. So many of us live like that all the time. If um, amygdala sends um, an alarm to our fight and flight autonomic nervous system and when the adrenaline comes coursing through our bodies many of us are used to living like that all the time constantly feeling very tuned on uh, switched on and tuned in 
to tension and tightness. And I've discovered that the practice of mindfulness keeps me centered on my body staying soft and clear and my mind staying open rather than tightening and gripping onto something. So a regular practice that helps us to do that is to put aside a space of time every morning for a good five or 10 minutes where you just sit and learn how to pay attention to your breath, how to keep the focus of your breath being your focus, and then to recognize that every time your attention leaves the breath and travels into a thought, the moment that you've noticed that your mind has traveled away and you grasp it and bring it back to your breath, that's the moment of mindful awareness. It's not a problem to, to be thinking, 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 mm. because the mind's purpose is to think. Mindfulness is the realization that my thinking is hurting me right now. If I brought myself back to the present and just took one deep, soothing breath, I could recenter myself. So as we do that, a practice, first of all, in the morning, and then I would suggest nowadays, especially to do that again, to soothe yourself before you go to sleep at night, and then regularly throughout the day, just to pay attention to your breath, bring yourself back to the present moment, recognize that this is what's happening right now, and I am here. Now, in this, whilst we do that, we're learning to soothe our autonomic nervous system, creating the response from the parasympathetic nervous system, which is settling again. It might be triggered many times during the day, but coming back to settling again, learning to do that, that to me is the art of mindfulness, staying present. There's a misconception around meditation and mindfulness which is that it is to empty the the brain of thoughts correct yes, it's, it's an impossible task mm. because the purpose of the mind is to think we're better off to recognize that we can choose as we center into the breath to learn where our focus goes and we're teaching the muscle of our mind to come back to what's here right now the beating of my heart the softness in my body the presence of my breath, soothing and keeping me centered. Um, my mind thinks a flow of thoughts like a waterfall in the background, but I've trained myself not to listen to it. Mm -hmm. And over the years, I've often said to people, you might think I'm quite smart, but actually my mind is completely empty <laughs> right now. <laughs> I'm not thinking very much. I've learned not to pay attention to my thinking and to feel what I'm speaking to you coming as a flow from within me, really. I pay much more attention to the center of wisdom than I do to my thinking mind. What is the center um, of wisdom? It's in the heart of us. It's the, the accumulated knowledge that we all have, that we're born with and that we grow as we develop and that we can learn to hold space for, believe in, our intuitive knowing. Mm. The, cent the center of our deep happiness which resides in us uh, that we can't find because our thinking gets in the way. The realization that if we weren't paying attention to our thinking mind, we could reside in this deep, clear space within us. And that comes from practice. It really does. I remember during the workshop, you showed us a picture and it was a picture of a puzzle and there was one missing piece in the puzzle. And you asked yes. everyone in the room to come up with the name of, 
a name for the picture. What would we name this picture? And I think yeah. most of us came up with something along the lines of the missing piece. And yes. your point, and maybe you can elaborate on that, your point was that the mind will always latch on to what's missing, find what's mm. wrong. So it's as if we are programmed as part of our biological safety system programmed to keep ourselves safe so that we're always looking for what isn't here right now, what we might be needing, what could be happening or what we should be taking care of. So we're always looking for what we don't have. And once we realize that, we can train ourselves instead of searching constantly for the missing piece, the piece I don't have. Mindfulness helps to train ourselves to be present to what's actually here right now, what we do have. And you know that, of course, is the practice of gratitude. Mm. It's interesting how almost every teaching or training about presence teaches us to focus on gratitude. And gratitude is awareness of what is here, not what's missing, but what we do have. Mm. I would suggest that would be one of the finest practices to do during this period of time when we're all incarcerated, as it were, with ourselves. I saw um, I saw something on social media yesterday, and I, I can't remember exactly what it said, but it was something along the lines of, if you're told to self-isolate at home, it means you're blessed enough to have a home. If you've mm. been told to stay away from your maybe grandparents and older parents, it means that you have a family. If you've been told to keep washing your hands, it means you're privileged enough to have the ability to, to do that and to look after yourself. So it was kind of like a small reminder that even in those times, we're still incredibly fortunate and a lot more fortunate than many people in the world. It's true. It's, it's one of the toughest things to say to people when everything has changed, and you're living in a field of desperate uncertainty, to turn towards gratitude and be grateful for the things you do have. But that's like being at the end of the grief. Whilst you're grieving to begin with, it's really useful to know that the feelings that you're experiencing of fear and loss and hopelessness and the awful anxiety of uncertainty, these all need to be experienced and left room for. And mindfulness is the practice of doing that. So you have to remember it's being present with what's here. It's not negating what's present, but being with it. So it's not about turning off your emotions. No, it's not. It's about mm -hmm. being present to them. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm thinking of people who are doing their lockdown alone. The opportunity without the presence of anyone else to actually be able to sit into fear and uncertainty and anxiety and loss is the ability to allow yourself to contact the feeling and let it be present to you pay attention to it breathe into it make space for it and notice that while you do that it once it's been experienced tends to leave you you don't have to worry about letting go of pain and fear and loss and anxiety because if you allow yourself to experience it, it lets go of you. The funny thing is people um, saying, we've all got to make the most of the situation and be full of gratitude to someone who really is frightened mm. or actually sick or feeling terribly helpless 
or struggling to contain uncertainty. My um, way of dealing with that is to say, tell me. I'm willing to listen to you while you tell me what your fears are. When you name them and you say them out loud and you actually experience them and breathe into them, then what you're doing is allowing yourself to be in the moment with what's really happening for you right now. And that in itself, for many people, is a really deep treasure. For some of us, it may be the first time we've ever had the space to actually experience what's here. And I've noticed for many, it just is a great tumble of grieving. Hmm. Makes sense, doesn't it, when you think about it like that? It does. <laughs> it does. I had you thought that in a crisis, we all begin with grief. There's, there's a lovely model for it, actually. I found somewhere on the internet, and I can't for the life of me remember um, the name of the man who first came up with this, but I found this a long time ago. It's called The Emotional Impact of Crisis and the Stages We Go Through. The Emotional Impact of Crisis is, of course, about grief. It first of all opens up our fight and flight response, and it brings us a large amount of shock and fear. And then initially, a great sense of relief, as you pointed out, that we do have a home to go to and that I do have enough food or that I have enough toilet rolls, for goodness sake, or whatever it is <laughs> that I need. And, and then this graph points out that we might go through a kind of a honeymoon period where we rush out there and do the best for ourselves and do as much as we can for others. So the plethora of information on the internet where everyone is suddenly offering so much in the way of teachings and things to focus on and activities to do, this is the beginning of emotional impact in a crisis. Let me help you. Let me be there for you. But um, it's an interesting thing to say that after this honeymoon period, grief often in the form of disillusionment and awareness of loss will kick in. And for many people, they'll plunge into um, a sense of hopelessness and doom and have to work their way through the feelings of that. So rather than being frightened of it, is to be able to make a space for ourselves where we notice that, realize that this is normal and actually allow it to happen. And that's when we need to be in contact with each other and ask for the help we need. It may trigger off all sorts of events that have happened in the past, other losses, for instance, and we may pick up and re-grieve or continue to grieve losses of people and other times where we've been disconnected or maybe when we moved and, and felt we had no community. But after this, in long term, when we actually reconstruct our life again, comes a place of acceptance and the ability to stay present to ourselves and to each other and to sort of knuckle down and do the best that we can. And that's when the realization that the practice of mindfulness plus the ability to feel your feelings in the moment and grieve them is what will take us through this and help us most especially with uncertainty. There's something I was thinking about while you were talking, which is we call these um, times of uncertainty. But based on what you were telling me, every time is a time of uncertainty, because no matter how much you think you know what's coming, you don't. It's so true. It's so true. It's learning to recognize that we've all adopted a system of living 
which we believe keeps us safe. And it's, I know what's going to happen next. That I've got a forward forecast here. I've got a five-year plan, a 10-year goal. I'm going to trot into that anything that you feel you're going to plan. This is how it's going to be. But in actual fact, life intervenes. It does. And it creates all sorts of odd and unusual things. So I've, I've spent my life learning to live from a place of embracing uncertainty, of befriending uncertainty and recognizing the only thing we can be truly certain of is that we can't be certain. But do you think it's easy to live in today's world and to thrive in today's world and to make sense in today's business world, perhaps, if you don't, if you don't approach it like that, if, if you don't plan, if you don't think that you have a five-year like, projection, etc.? Well, we do. We have to plan and have projections. That's how businesses run. But actually, what we've all just learned, it just didn't matter how much we planned and had projections, it all just stopped. So have the projections, but don't be, don't attached. be too attached. Exactly. Don't be attached. It's to actually that. learning how to bend in the wind. Mm. It's like um, being able to be a strong warrior who can stand and withstand, but bend and adapt. When you think about it, the process of learning not to be attached to outcomes is a lifelong process for many people. And it's life itself that teaches us that. And for many of us, it's actually accepting and learning to grieve our way through great losses, whatever they may be, that helps us to understand we need to learn how to be a reed in the wind and bend, mm. not stand rigid till we snap. Life will carve us out one way or another. <laughs> it does. You know, we can learn to find joy in all of that in the end. But you know, you said at the beginning, Nor, how lovely it feels now that there's not so much pressure. So I get that for many of us, that is actually true. And my experiences over the last couple of weeks, talking to people who are discovering, opening to depths in themselves they never knew were there. But for many others, this is a time of tremendous fear and tremendous anxiety and utter helplessness. And it's that that helplessness that stymies so many of us, that's what makes us desperately plan to escape it. And for the first time ever, many of us are going to have to learn how to be with it, how to sit into helplessness and discover there is tremendous strength and vulnerability. There is tremendous strength in actually accepting fear and, and learning how to be with and make space for the unknowable and the unseeable we don't really have much choice. And mm. then, of course, there are all the people nowadays who are still working on, aren't they? I, I mean, my streets are empty, but I do notice that there are delivery bikes going past with food. And there are places that are still taking care of us, and there are all the medical teams looking after all of this dreadful sickness. You, you mentioned earlier on that... We need to know when to ask for the support that we need when we start to enter this maybe more difficult grieving period. What kind of support do you recommend people reach out for? What is available to us? People, community. Okay. Um, finding someone um, and actually having this discussion in households. So 
you know, I start from the base of if you live alone, then we each of us usually have someone who we can call our person that we can reach to. And nowadays, of course, it means online or by telephone or through WhatsApp. Um, someone said to me the other day, WhatsApp has become my beloved friend. <laughs> <laughs> How lovely. So to reach. So first of all, deeply into ourselves and then out to help for others. Find a community of people. And online, there are all sorts of people who are offering that. We at Mindful Me are offering that you're able to talk with us in the same way that we've always been available. Get in touch with Alfie on our telephone number, which I can give you at the end here if you like. Yep. Book a session. We're happy and all of us are working doing that. I'm happy to do that. Then if you live in a family, it's having the conversation when you say, today my energy feels okay. When I feel frightened, please will you make a space and listen to me and doing that for each other. So saying to the children, we'll sit for a few minutes now and talk about what it is that you're feeling anxious about. Um, and then with our partners and extended families. And then knowing that there's whole communities of people now who are going to be able to be available, searching for that and knowing that each of us needs supporting. Were you aware of that great banging and cheering and clapping that went on last night? Yeah, I saw the videos. So astonishing. It's beautiful. Um, so astonishing. My daughter who lives down the marina sent me the video and said, moving me to tears, mum. And I replied, nothing like that happening where I live. And then actually opened my curtains and went out on the balcony. And yes, it was. Yes, it was. People were... Just for our audience who doesn't, who doesn't know what we're talking about, basically, I think it was around 8 p.m. last night. Yes. Everyone went out onto their balconies and started clapping and cheering and, and hitting on pots and pans, which they've been doing in a lot of uh, cities around the world yes. in um, sort of appreciation for the medical staff and the people who've been working around the clock during this crisis. And I think that that is a wonderful way of showing appreciation. But I recognized when I was watching it last night, it's creating community mm. because those of us who live in apartments often have nothing to do with any of the windows that we can see all around us and yet all of these doors opened and all of these people began to call out and sing and laugh and bang and make loud noises and I thought gosh I'm relating to people I've been living in my apartment for over eight years I'm relating to people I never knew existed now mm -hmm. it's lovely that's community those forms of comfort of reaching out to each other but I think it's really important that we speak it So another way of reaching out for support is to get into the practice of writing. For many people, putting words down on a page. So if you began every day a page that says, this is how I'm feeling about it today. This is how I'm feeling about this today. And then write, today I'm noticing a lot of anger. Uh, it makes me feel tight in my chest. It makes me want to hit and punch. What can I do with this feeling? Um, how can I just allow it to happen? And then the next day you might be putting, gosh, today I'm feeling full of despair and frightened. And then write words of comfort to yourself. I think, right, I know. It feels really tough to have this happening. And speak to yourself in that way. It's almost as if you're saying to yourself, this is what I'm feeling. And then you let your heart reply to yourself. 
And you always give yourself permission to feel, I know, it's really tough, isn't it? I can see how upset you are. So you can see, Noor, that that journaling is a source of tremendous comfort for some people. Yeah, I, 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 I practice journaling and I speak to myself on a regular basis and I really find that it helps. Mm. That's my mindfulness practice. Yes, well, practicing self-compassion and loving kindness through all sorts of different means. I'll tell you about one of my most favorite practices that anyone in our Mindful Me community will know even before I tell you. I feel most connected to myself, to others, and to the energy of the universe when I sit really still, take in a nice big deep breath and just hum a vibration into my chest. Hmm. I love that. It's like a meditation process. It's really the large breath and connect with the energy inside of myself with sound. It's one of the most soothing things you can do. Do you do one breath or do you do multiple breaths? Well, if you take one, shall I do it for you right now? Do you yeah, want to do it with go me for while it. we do it? Shall I do it too? <laughs> you do it too. Okay, so fine. one big deep breath, pick a sound. Mm. And I could just keep on going and going and going to the end of that breath. <laughs> it's quite lovely, isn't it? It's nice, yeah. And when you've finished and you got to the end of the breath, take in another nice big deep breath and do it again. You just have to keep your mouth closed, your lips closed, and the vibration ends up in your chest. If you put your hand on your chest and your hand on your belly and feel it, it's very soothing. And it's a lovely exercise to teach to children. Uh, one that I love to do, thinking of young children at bedtime. You would say, this is, we're going to do our meditation together now. You just close your eyes, take a nice big deep breath, put one hand on your belly, one hand on your chest. And as you breathe out, you make a sound, pick any sound. And you might do that for three or four minutes. And you'd be surprised how quickly children will settle into sleep. It's lovely. All right, Helen, thank you so much for your time today. I'm really happy that we were able to connect. I'm very grateful for all of the incredible wisdom and advice that you've shared on the podcast today and I hope it's going to be helpful for people yes I hope so too so can I just say that we can contact yes please mindful me for help so our website is www.mindfulme.me and our telephone number to contact Alfie who makes appointments for people if anyone wants to reach for help and we'd encourage you to do that is zero five four four six six eight four zero zero awesome thank you helen and the great thing is now you're doing the appointments on zoom as well so it doesn't matter where in the world they live yes they can still get in touch with you yes isn't zoom wonderful yeah it is <laughs> thank god for zoom. <laughs> thank you helen thank you heaps nora lovely to talk with you have a lovely day bye bye and the best to you too bye Thanks for listening today. If you're not familiar with goodness, head to www.goodness.me to access the online platform and articles and follow us at goodness on Instagram. If you